Last week, we started on our short sermon series called Risk is Right. It should be up there. Risk is Right. And these risks that we take are right because we do it for the cause of Christ. You see, Jesus is the central focus of all our risk-taking. And the risks that we want to take here in Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta are risks that do not result in self-gain because that's focused around us, nor risks that result in comfort, which again is centred around us, but rather risks that are centred around Christ and His cause. And in most cases, these risks, right, they are difficult in nature. And on that note today, I'm going to preach on a topic that usually makes people quite uncomfortable. Um, And that's the topic of missions. So if you're joining for the first time, welcome to our church. I'm going to be preaching on the topic of missions. And you'll realize that throughout my preaching for the majority of you, I won't be preaching anything new. But my heart and my prayer and my intent is that these very wor- the, the very words of God will be simple to your heart and convicting for your soul as we think about missions this year. Today, I have three points to make. The first point is the heart of Christ in missions. The second point is the work of Christ in missions. And the third and final point is imitating Christ in missions. I've titled my sermon, Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And before we elaborate on this a little bit more in detail, let's read from our passage, which comes from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 7. Luke 15, verse 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Join me in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. And Lord, as we um, think about missions, Lord Father, we pray that you would enable us to see your heart in it. Lord, help us to align our hearts and our minds to you, God, and may you take all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. For many of you who know me really, really well, I am an avid AFL Fan. And of the 18 teams that play in the competition, I follow the mighty, mighty Brisbane Lions. I don't know if you know them, but yes, mighty Brisbane Lions. In the year 2001 to 2003, the Brisbane Lions won three consecutive premiership. You know what that means? They, they were the best team for three years straight. It's quite remarkable. And one of the things I love about the AFL is the rich culture and environment it creates when the game is played. 
Did you know that every time your team wins a game, the stadium plays the club song? And I love it how you can stand up with the rest of the fans and sing, we are the club of Brisbane town, we wear maroon, blue and gold. We will always fight for victory. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I could keep going, but I did promise my wife that's where I'll stop. So I will stop. But in short, I have a zeal and a passion and a joy for this sport and my club. But don't we all have something like that? in our lives, something that stirs our heart and our soul, a zeal and a passion. Now, perhaps for you, it might be your favorite band that you love listening to. You just love them. Or maybe it's your favorite sport like me. You love to follow them. You have a zeal for that. Or your favorite pastime hobby that you might have. Or maybe, like my brother Noah, he's your favorite movie, Lord of the Rings. As you know, when he prays, everything that comes out of his mouth, every second sentence has something to do with the Lord of the Rings. Right, but the thing is, we do that because we're so, so passionate about it. And you don't care what other people think because you're 100% convinced that this is epic. And everyone has this something. Now, what's yours? What is your zeal and passion for when you... What, what is your zeal and passion for as you think about these things? What are you willing to risk? Because normally when you have a passion and a zeal for certain things, you're really convinced and you are willing to take that risk on that. And you know, the zeal and passion, firstly, I think it comes from the heart. And so the first point I want to make is that if we are to take the risk in missions, our heart needs to be convinced. And the best way to do that, I believe, is to see the very heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to my first point, the heart of Christ. In today's passage, we see our Savior, Jesus, and his heart displayed for his sheep. You know, and we could talk about many things here, but for today... I want to elaborate on Jesus' heart to receive his sheep. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. A couple of points I want to draw out in this verse is this. Firstly, Jesus, he is receiving is the receiving of those who are hated, who are despised, who are classified as dishonest and greedy. These were the tax collectors. And then we have the sinners, which is a term the Pharisees use. These sinners were classified as the immoral, or those who lived with a certain disease or disability. They were unclean. You know, from a Pharisee point of view, though, God's people were not to be around sinners. We see from Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But the Pharisees, they, they take this one step further beyond the intent and point to Jesus and they say, this man not only sits with them, but he eats with them. 
But we all know, but we all know, Jesus did not come here to be a sinner. He came to receive and save sinners. He associated with such people to offer them salvation through repentance and faith. Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. Don't you think at times we're a little like the Pharisees? We like our groups. We like our cliques. We don't like to mingle with those that are a bit different to us. You know, I love telling my wife, Rebs, uh, stories about my past, particularly in my high school years because she can't verify them or disprove them. <laughs> but one of the stories I often tell her is that, um, and this is a bit embarrassing to say, but I will say it, I used to be in the cool group at school. <laughs> you know, the sporty, athletic, the, you know, the... <laughs> Hard to believe, right? Hard to believe. You know, but I was in the cool group. And the cool group never mingles with the uncool group. You know, there's this clash. We just don't get it, you know. We don't get each other. And we find it difficult to receive those that are different. But if anything, friends, if anything, the difference between our holy Jesus, the divine Jesus, and sinners like us. It's so different, incomparable, huge clash. But here's the heart of Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Philippians 2. He came, the divine Jesus, God, he came down to mingle with us. He came to receive us. He came to receive the outcasts like you and me. This was his heart. Is that your heart? The second point I want to make is this. How does Jesus receive the outcast? Because when I think about the word receive to me, it means to gain possession. When I receive a gift, this gift is now in my possession. I have complete ownership of it. It's mine. It's my property, and it belongs to me. And in the same way, Jesus, when he receives sinners like you and me, we become his. We are his belonging, his property, his to protect. There's a great example of what this means, and it was shown in the previous chapter, chapter 14 of the parable of the great banquet. Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. We see Jesus eat with them right now on earth, But the final and more glorious outcome is that he will eat with them in the kingdom of heaven. In this parable, many reject the invitation to the banquet. The Pharisees and the scribes, they've rejected him. And so now the invitation is open. It's open to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the tax collectors, and sinners. 
all these people who are lost, they have nothing to give. But they flock to Jesus. They go to Jesus and they are drawn to Jesus. They are going to this great banquet. And they go and they fill the room. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like this banquet. It will be filled with people. It's not empty. It's not one of those lame parties where half the seats are empty. No. His house will be filled. His banquet will be full and with tax collectors and sinners, but those who have repented and have drawn near to him. Jesus, the receiving, is a receiving into his kingdom, into his possession, his belonging, into heaven where he will be. That's how Jesus receives. His heart is to take ownership, full ownership of us, and he draws us in. Church, that's the heart of Jesus. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children of God sitting here right now, do we have the heart and the priority for the lost? Are we willing to receive them just like Christ? Church, do you understand the significance here? The importance of knowing the heart of Christ. You know, the ironic thing about this passage is that the very people who should understand the heart of Jesus, like you and me, we don't get it sometimes. In fact, that in this passage today, we, we see this. It says, the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled. They grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Church, can you see the difference in heart? Jesus' heart is to receive and the Pharisee's heart is to grumble. Jesus' heart is to love and accept and gain possession, to keep and to protect his sheep. And the Pharisee's heart is to say, I don't want to do anything that's in relation to them. I don't want that. Let's check our hearts right now. Ask yourself right now, in my heart, is my heart for the lost like Jesus or is my heart like the Pharisees to grumble? No, Lord, I just pray that if our heart is to grumble, that you would forgive us, but give us your heart, Lord. Give us your heart to love like you, God. The good news is, though, friends, we're not at the banquet yet. Which means, friends, there is still room. Jesus is still receiving. It's not full. The space for your family members, the space for your neighbors, this friends and family and school, uni, university friends or work colleagues, there is still space. There's still space and there's still time and God intends to receive his lost sheep and fill them in the banquet. Are you willing to take that risk? the right risk to reach out to the lost and receive just like Christ did. So if we are to take risks in missions, what must we do? Which leads into my second point, the work of Christ in mission. Last year, 
uh, towards the end of the year when we ran Alpha, in one of the sessions, I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but in fact, I made a deliberate attempt to erase it completely from my memory because I remember thinking by the end of it, I thought, oh man, I really, really messed that night up. And I thought, no one is going to come to Alpha again next week. And I remember thinking, oh boy, with that appalling performance, no one will. And usually after every Alpha session, Alpha night, we have a debrief to share and encourage the group on how the session went. And I remember thinking again at that point before I shared, I thought, oh boy, when I share this, Riley is going to boot me out as a pastoral intern. I'm going to be forever known as the pastoral intern that messed up Alpha for Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta. But as I shared my failures, I remember the group saying this. They said, Richard, the session happened just how God intended the session to happen. And that just really, really encouraged me. Because it's the truth, isn't it? In the end, it's not about me and my work. But it's 100% about Christ and His work. That He does the saving work and not me. And the parable we read today paints a great picture of that. Read with me verse 3 to 5. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. There's so many things I can talk about in these two verses alone, but what I really want to hone in today is the outcome, the end result. What we see is that when Jesus goes out to search for his sheep, he will find it. He will find it. Jesus loves his sheep so dearly. He knows them by name. He counts each one and realizes that one has gone astray. So what does he do? Jesus himself, he goes after that one sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, he goes. John 10, 14 says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus he goes. He doesn't call someone else to go and find it, but he goes himself and he searches. And what does it say? He searches until he finds it. There's persistence from the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows what a pitiful and helpless and woeful sheep we are. But this search that Jesus takes it's not a perfunctory token search, no. But he pours out his energy into the task. He climbs up the valleys and the mountaintops, always calling and seeking because he knows his sheep hear his voice and they will follow him. And the verse says, and when he has found it, when he has found it, it doesn't say, and he searched for a long time, and eventually he gave up because he couldn't find it. 
No. He doesn't say, well, that was a silly sheep for leaving me. No. He says the good shepherd goes after his one lost sheep till he has found it. Ezekiel 34, 11, 12 says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, behold, I, I myself, not someone else, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. This was God's ordained plan all along since the beginning of time. His lost sheep, he will seek them out. He will seek out his flock. He will seek out his sheep and he will rescue them. And Jesus, in his compassion, when he finds his lost sheep, he picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, takes it home, full of joy. The outcome, the end result we see is that Jesus always does the saving work. It is he who finds his lost sheep. He sought after you, sought after me, and he found us, didn't he? One of my first experiences I had with our brother Muzz, and he's not here today, so he can't defend himself with this story, but um, we had a WhatsApp chat group with the launch team. Some of you may or may not remember this, um, but I still remember because I thought it was funny um, lightened the mood in the chat groups, and uh, he was breaking the ice, so kudos to Muzz. But I remember that morning, I shared a verse which had moved my heart deeply in that morning, and it came from Isaiah 53.6. And I remember writing it out on my phone. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And our brother Mars responded to that text saying, ba-ba-ba-do-ba-ba. <laughs> and I bet if he was here, he would have said the same thing. But church, it's so true though, isn't it? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We were all once that lost sheep. We had turned away from the good shepherd and we went further and further and further away from him, did we not? Vulnerable from the wolves. But Jesus, he sought after you. He sought after us. He saw the 99 and he said, Rich, Ryle, Amanda, Mel, Karina, Doug, where is my sheep? I must find my sheep and bring my sheep back. And he did that. He sought after us. He sought after us by climbing up those mountaintops and hills towards Calvary. Dying on the cross for our sins so that we might be received into his possession and to his 
kingdom. That's Christ's love for us, and that's Christ's love for you, all of us. He knew that we could not save ourselves. Jesus has a heart for the lost. He receives them, and he does so by going after that one lost sheep. And church, he will not fail. So what does this mean for us? Does that mean that because Jesus does all the work, we could sit back, relax, and watch viewing from afar in our comfort, security, and safety? Because if you're looking for comfort, I've heard that the Greek islands is really good for that. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. But if you're looking for comfort, you're not going to find that in Christianity. Friends, Jesus will do the saving work, guaranteed, but he also calls us to follow him. Matthew 4.19 says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You want to be fishers of men? You want to go out, be a part of finding the lost sheep? Jesus says, first follow me. Following Jesus means a call for us to carry the cross. That means when he's climbing up that mountainside in search for the one lost sheep, cuts and bruises, spraining ankles from the rocks, we see the example of Christ and we follow. It means when Jesus is out there for hours upon hours, fatigued but persistently looking for his lost sheep, we see that example again and we follow Christ's example. Following Jesus means even though the road looks tough, we obey his commands and follow. And only when we follow in his footsteps can we be fishers of men. Following Jesus enables you, enables us to partake in all of Christ, in all of what he's doing. And this path is hard, but friends, this is the rewarding path because we get to be involved in what Christ is doing. You don't want to miss out, friends. You don't want to miss out on this, particularly for the 99% of you sitting here with that disease. What's that disease called again? I think it was called FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. We do not want to miss out. We do not want to miss out on this. King David in Psalm 84, he says this he says this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know what that means? It means a day walking up those mountains and searching for the one lost sheep, but being led by Jesus, being guided by Jesus. It's going to be tough. But even in the midst of difficulty, being guided and walking with Jesus is better than a thousand pleasurable, comfortable, secure, safe places elsewhere. So friends, is it missions? Is it saving souls for you? Or is it the Greek islands? What is it for you? I bet there was tension there when you had to think about the difference. There was tension for me. But what I'm trying to say is not to choose between the two. 
because it's a blessing. If you can go to the Greek islands, go marvel at his creations. It's a blessing. Go. I'd go. But what I'm trying to say is in our everyday tasks, our everyday life interactions, are we taking risks for missions, for the cause of Christ? Or are we opting for comfortability? Friends, Jesus will do the saving. He will, but he calls us to follow him, which means he calls you to go and seek and save the lost. Are you willing to be a part of what Jesus is doing and will do? Because let me tell you this, he doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. But Jesus will save his sheep and he'll do it using people like us. And if we decide to sit back and live safely, risk-free, if we live the small amount of time we have here, prioritizing our security and our comfort and our safety and our enjoyment, then we're going to miss out on the work of saving the lost sheep because it will happen with or without you. And if we choose to sit out, we are going to waste our life And just like what Riley reminded us like week, church, I don't want to look back 2022 this year and think, man, we wasted this year. No. But church, I want to implore you. I want to encourage you right now. Let's not waste it. We get to be a part of missions. We get to be a part of it. And so we get to partake and experience the joy with Christ when the lost sheep is found. Before I move on to my final point, let me just quickly, quickly say this, because I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying that everything we do will be successful. I'm not saying that every missional opportunity will bear fruit. The Bible tells us that some seeds will fall on good soil and some won't. But as we throw the seeds, as we plant and water those seeds, we get to see the growth of some of these seeds come out because God, he will produce the growth. And we don't know which sheep, is, which sheep Jesus is going after. But if we don't partake in the mission, as fishes of men, if we don't even cast the net out of the boat, we will never get the opportunity to partake in what Christ is doing. Church, this risk is right. And so to my third point, imitating Christ in mission. So how do we partake in this? How do we partake in this? If the heart of Christ is what we have, if we trust in Christ's saving work and we follow him, then what bold missionary risks can we take this year? For those who were here last week on Envision Night, I spoke of several initiatives we have in place. And as a practical element of this talk, I want to launch two of them. First thing is Friday monthly prayer meetings. Our first monthly prayer meeting is going to be held this coming Friday night, 8 p.m. And friends, don't be fooled. There is a spiritual warfare going on right now. We may not see it, but it is going on right now. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So friends, before we go 
into battle, we arm ourselves in prayer. And when we're in battle, we keep praying. Church, I want us to be a church that prioritizes and saturates ourselves in prayer. The early church, it says the early church in Acts, they devoted, they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed together as a group when Peter and John were released from prison after proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the early church, if the early church with Peter and John had to pray for boldness to continue preaching, then how much more do we need to pray? How much more does prayer need to be a focus in our missions? I don't know what you're doing this Friday night, but God is giving you an opportunity to gather as a church to pray. Don't waste your life. Come along and pray with us. And let's pray that God would open up doors and opportunities for us to reach out to the lost sheep, to be able to proclaim the good gospel news. Come and pray with us this Friday night. That's our first initiative. The second practical initiative is an initiative called Who's Your One? It's called Who's Your One? It's actually a campaign that was started uh, by Sovereign Grace Church in Orange County in the United States. And with their permission, we've literally ripped it uh, and just made minor adjustments and we're going to run this campaign. And it's going to come up on screen now. Who's Your One? And so this, ch- this initiative church is going to be a church-wide effort. We want everyone, every church member here to participate in this. We're going to be talking about this in our life groups. We're going to be talking about it during our services. We're going to be writing about it and updating about it in our church blogs. We're going to be sharing testimonies. It's going to be part of our DNA and church This is going to push us. We will be required to take risks, but this will be a risk that we take for the cause of Christ. So won't you join with us? And so here's our plan. It's a three-month campaign starting from February. So we're starting right now. We're starting today. And it's going to end in April, three months. And so this is what we want you to do. Each month, okay, Each month, every church member will choose one person in their life who is not a believer. It could be your friend, your family member. It could be your neighbor. It could be anyone. One person who is not a believer. And we will share the name of that person in our life groups and in our growth groups. And we'll pray for them in every session. And here's the part that will be difficult for a lot of us we will commit to share the gospel. We will commit to share the gospel. And this is key. Our aim isn't connection, but our aim is to share the gospel. And to share the gospel, we've got this track. It's called Two Ways to Live. And we're going to provide resources. So we've got this out in the front desk, and the stewards are going to give each and every one of our members this tract. It goes through the story of the good gospel. And you can sit down and read this with them. 
You can summarize it yourself, but we want to be sharing the gospel of Jesus. We're going to share our testimonies, and the great thing is we're going to celebrate also when conversions happen. Church, we have about a little bit over 50 adult members in our church, but let's say 50 to round it. And if each person shared the gospel to one person for the next three months, that's 50 times one person, and we'll do it for three times, so times three, that's 150 people. In the space of just three months, 150 people will be hearing the gospel news, and potentially for the first time. Romans 10, 13 says this, For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to pre... Uh, how, sorry. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To be saved, it says you need to preach to them. To be saved, we need to be sharing the gospel. And only when we share the gospel will they hear it. And only when they hear it will they believe it. And only when they believe it will they, will they be able to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's imperative, church, that we share the good news of Jesus to all. Church, like I said, this is going to be hard. And as I reflected on this myself, I, I felt the heaviness that was rooted deeply under fear. You know, what will others think of me? feeling paralyzed by the very thought that I might be disliked or marginalized or laughed at or mocked. But perhaps for you, it's not even that. Perhaps for you, you think you're not good enough. You know, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not equipped. You know, I'm so bad at talking and stringing up persuasive or meaningful conversations if anything, church, you should all know that I'm the worst at that. I struggle to construct coherent sentences. Last week, someone, after Envision Night, uh, approached me and kindly told me that I said something like, if you don't, uh, I said, don't break something that's working. <laughs> and they corrected me and they said, it's actually, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I learned something there. Coherent sentences just don't flow with me, it doesn't. But we all think that he's better than I am. He should go and evangelize. We think she's, she can talk better than me. Let her do it. But no, friends, we are all called to do it. All of us. It says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. It's for all of us. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but friends, can I encourage you right now? Can I encourage you in a way that you're probably not going to expect? I want to encourage you by letting you know that not only is it going to be hard, but suffering will come too. 
it will 100%. Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. John 15.20 says, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So I want to prepare us for suffering because it will come. Before we go amongst the wolves, we must pray that our hearts would be ready for this. We must count the cost. So before we go and evangelize, prepare and decide here whether you pledge your allegiance to Christ. Before you engage, choose now for you, is it to live is Christ and to die again? Prepare your hearts now and count the cost. You know, a sermon on suffering is a sermon that can be preached on its own, so I'm going to leave Riley to deal with that. But in light of today's passage of the one lost sheep, remember this, in our suffering, God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in our weakness. We will be strong in our sufferings because of the power of Christ, because of the power of Christ. It's not by our might. It's not by our strength. It's not by our intellect. It's not by what we do, but we endure our suffering because of the power of Christ and what he gives. We lean unto him and we trust in him and not on ourselves, but completely and wholly in Jesus Christ. He will give us the sustaining grace. Blessed are you when others revile you, when persecute you, when utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. To close off my message today, I want to leave you with these final words. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Why should we rejoice and why should we be glad? Well, like Jesus in our parable today, he calls everyone and he says, Rejoice with me. Why? For I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. Friends, when a lost soul repents and comes to Christ, not only do we get to see the marvelous transfiguration which passes over the face of that saved one, not only do we get to rejoice and be glad because our own faith is being confirmed, but even greater than all, all of this is that our greatest rejoicing, our greatest joy comes because we get to please God and join in his celebration and joy. Charles Spurgeon, in his book called The Soul Winner, he says this, is the blessed God capable of greater joy than his own boundless happiness? Wondrous language this is. Can we be instruments of this? Can we do any, anything which will make the ever-blessed glad? Yes, for we are told that the great Father rejoices above measure when his lost one is found. Wow, wow. Isn't that cause for rejoicing and gladness in our hearts? Isn't that alone enough for us to go out right now and take risks 
and share the good gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we are called to share the good news. Who's your one? Will you share the heart of Jesus for sinners? Will you rejoice with Jesus? Will you receive just like Christ did? Will you join in what Christ is already doing? Rejoice and be glad. It's your choice. But I implore you, let's take the right risks. For 2022, risk is right for the cause of Christ. Who's your one? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of eternal life. We thank you that it is through your word that we have new life. Father, we thank you that it is Christ who died for us on the cross that we might be saved. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the greatest example by going after the one lost sheep. And Lord, I pray that you would invigorate our hearts today. Lord, give us a fresh revelation and a new joy to be glad with you as we go out on missions, all for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.